thankful this morning that all we will ever need can be found in you. We're thankful that you are our hope, that you are our glory, that you are worthy of all the worship we can give you today. And I pray that you have been honored and glorified by that worship. As we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us from it that your Holy Spirit would challenge us with the truth of your word, that we would be convicted of areas in our life in which we need conviction. And most of all, Father, our desire today is for you to change us into the image of Jesus so we can walk closely with him when we leave this place. Father, we especially pray if there's someone in this room today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, may this morning be the morning that they leave this building and the burden of their sin behind and walk in newness of life. It's in the good name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it up. If you're using digital, turn that uh, device on and uh, turn with me to the book of Acts. To the book of Acts, right there in your New Testament, Right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we have the Acts of the Apostles, which uh, shows us some things that they did that we started a series last week, and we'll spend some time working through this book. Uh, You know, this time next year, we will be gearing up for the Summer Olympics, where athletes from all over the world will gather in Paris, France, and uh, they'll have the highest level of competition and and some of the most well-known and exciting sports, even some new ones like I heard breakdancing is going to be introduced this year. So I'm quite looking forward to that. You'll never see me compete. You won't see me compete in any of them, but especially uh, that one. One of the oldest sports in the Olympics is something that they simply call athletics. In fact, if you were to go to the Olympic website right now and, and try to figure out all the sports, it would just be listed as athletics. We call it track and field. And, and of that track and field, those events, one of the most favorite things that we watch are the races that take place where people compete and, and they run. Now, I have a certain theory of running that I I feel it's important for you all to know. If you ever see me out and about in the community jogging or running, just call the police, okay? Because that means somebody's after me. Uh, Otherwise, I ain't doing it. Uh, But I admire those of you who, who do. Uh, in those running events, there is a familiar phrase that is stated at the beginning. On your mark, get set, go, right? Now, it used to, instead of saying go, they would use a gun. Now they use just a horn sound. For some reason, guns. So just to take us back to old times, I'm just playing. I don't have a gun in there at all. <laughs> I know I don't have to have one in here because I know there are more guns in this room right now than our Bibles, all right? I understand that. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. I'm the safest pastor in Santa Rosa County, I guarantee you. Just so you know, within three, six feet of me, there's someone with a gun. So just watch out. Don't get any ideas during our time of worship, okay? But they'll say, on your mark, <coughs> that means to get in your lane, get on your spot, get set, get in your starting position, whether that's kneeling down or whether that's just standing at an area ready to sprint. 
And then they'll say, go, which means take off and get after it. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Now, we're looking at the book of Acts for the next several weeks and even the next several months. And the story of Acts is the story of God's church. It's the story of God's people who have been told by God, in essence, on your mark, get set, and go. When Jesus was on this earth, he gave several instructions to his followers. And in those instructions, he told them to go. He told them that they are to live sent. That's why I've titled this series Sent, because it's what we see the people of God doing in the book of Acts. The church is being sent into all the world. The Great Commission comes to mind when Jesus appeared before those disciples in Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus came and said to them that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, and Jesus told them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You don't get all nations unless you go. Jesus himself told us again in John chapter 20 and verse 21, a verse that you will see dozens of, maybe probably every Sunday that we talk about Acts, I'll reference John chapter 20 and verse 21, where Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Notice that phrase, has sent, am sending. Jesus said, just as I have been sent, I am sending you. And the book of Acts is a record of the apostles and the church living out these commands being sent into the world with the gospel. But I want you to notice the title that I've assigned to this sermon today. One small word is missing. Did you catch what word it was? The title of the sermon is, On Your Mark, Get Set, dot, dot, dot. So I've left out, go, I've left out a word. What word did it leave out? Go. go. Now, they will definitely go, and they will definitely be sent in the book of Acts. But before they can go, they have to be prepared and ready. Before they go, they have to be on their mark, and they have to get set then they can go and be sent. The last half of Acts chapter 1 shows us how they are getting prepared. It shows us how we can get on our mark, how we can get set so that we can then go. Some of you have already taken your mark. Some of you are close to getting set. Some of you need to take your mark. Some of you, you aren't in the stadium yet and you need to get there so you can get down to the sideline so you can get on the mark and get on set so we can all go. Because listen, before our church, before First Baptist Church Milton can go, we all need to get on our mark and get set. Look at what our text tells us. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Man, I feel sorry for Judas the son of James. I just do. Can you imagine the other Judas is the one that betrayed Jesus? And his entire rest of his life, he's, when they say, he has to go, not me, I'm not that one, I'm not that one. He's Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The ladies are involved in ministry as well. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, that's the traitor, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Good morning. <laughs> and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. <clears throat> For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So some of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they're replacing Judas. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas who was also called Justice. Apparently he had an identity crisis. He couldn't figure out his name. And a guy named Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They had to go through this process before they were ready to go. This process that's taking place in this text, this is them getting on their mark and getting set. And then they do some things here at the end of chapter 1 that puts them in the position so in chapter 2 they are ready to go. I want to bring to your attention this morning three things that allowed the apostles to get on the their mark and to get set that in the following chapters of Acts they are ready to go. Three things that you and I need to be sure we are embracing as well. First is this, they had the right practices. They had the right practices. They were practicing the right things. They were practicing righteous things. Doing that which was righteous put them in a place where they were ready to go where God called them to go, and they were ready to be sent to where God had directed them. Now, some of these processes seem kind of small. 
But I want you to understand that it's in the small things that God grows us and that God develops us. If they don't embrace the small steps, they're not going to embrace the larger ones. So what practices did they embrace? I'm going to tell them to you and you're going to go, yeah, those are so simple. But it if we would just do them, that would make it a lot, make a lot more sense, a lot, a lot easier for us. One practice they had is this. They, they practiced obedience. They practiced obedience. If you go back in chapter 1 up to verse 4, they are given instructions by Jesus, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrives and fills your life. Acts chapter 1 verse 12, where are they? They are in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive. <clears throat> they are being obedient. Now it seems like a small step of obedience. Just stay in the place I put you until it's time to go. But think of the consequences if they are disobedient. If they leave before the Holy Spirit arrives, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit as they go in chapter 2. If they hang around and wait and still stay after the Holy Spirit arrives, they're in open rebellion to Jesus' commands. Listen. In its simplest form, obedience is essential to our following Jesus. In fact, I think in its very simplest form, following Jesus is about taking one small step of obedience after another. I want to repeat that just so it settles in your heart. Following Jesus is about taking one small step of obedience after another. So let me ask you a question that I know will make you uncomfortable. That's the point. Is there an aspect of your relationship with Jesus in which you're not being obedient? Would you take inventory of your life right now? Just for a quick second, would you take stock of what's taking place in your life right now? And, and can you identify any area of, of disobedience in your life? If you say, Pastor, I can't, keep thinking because you'll get there. If you don't get there, it means you're dead because only dead people aren't disobedient. The rest of us are. Look in your life. Is there an area that you're not living in obedience are you not taking your next step? Are you not taking that next step in, in your giving? Are you not taking that next step in sharing the gospel, your, your time in the word? My challenge to you today is to identify your area of disobedience and start obeying. You haven't got to have it all figured out. Just obey. Just do what Jesus has called you to do. They practiced obedience. They also practiced discipleship. They practiced discipleship. Notice the names that are listed in verse 13 of this text. 
You've got Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not the traitor, Judas the son of James. From that day forward he had to change his business card, Judas the son of James. These are all apostles. These are all men who've been called out by Jesus to follow him, to leave their nets or their tax collecting booth or their normal life and devote everything to following Jesus. But it wasn't just these guys, there was also the women. Some women were there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were following a path of discipleship. These guys are disciples. Now let me tell you what a disciple is because I'm all trying to get on my soapbox here, and if I do I'll try to jump off quickly. We have reduced discipleship down to where we think we're disciples if we show up on Sunday. <laughs> or we think we're disciples if we go through a Bible study. In fact, our, our dare I say our, uh, this next statement, our conviction has conditioned us to believe that if we complete a course, remember back in the day of discipleship training union or whatever the incantations we've used of that, you completed a course, you filled out a card, you got a reward, and you were considered a disciple. That's a far cry from what a disciple was in the days of Jesus. In the days of Jesus, a disciple was someone, watch this, a disciple was someone who not only accepted the views of the rabbi, but would then practice the teachings of the rabbi. A disciple was someone who learned, then did. Learn, then do. <clears throat> a lot of people today don't mind the learning from Jesus, but they stop short of doing for Jesus. You cannot be a disciple unless you do what Jesus teaches. It comes back to obedience. They had the right practice. They practiced obedience. They practiced discipleship. And verse 14 tells us that they practiced prayer. They were devoted to prayer. That word devoted means steadfastly continuing in prayer. This was not a prayer a day keeps the devil away mentality. <clears throat> Nor was this a hit and miss practice. Prayer was vitally important to the apostles and it placed them in the go position. In fact, we're going to see over and over and over in the book of Acts the primary role prayer had in the lives of these early followers of Jesus and in the life of the church of Jesus. And tragically, how different is that today? In fact, of all the services that a church offers, guess which one? The prayer service is the least attended one. Prayer service. At one of my pastorates for many years ago, the most challenging one I had, I thought, Lord, how in the world are we going to fix what all needs to be fixed? And I was being pretty heavily influenced at the time by Jim Cimbala, and still am Jim Cimbala, pastor of Book and Tab. And um, I said, you know what, we're going to have an out of prayer. Have an out of prayer. That's all we're going to do is pray. And we announced it to the church, and we made sure that everybody knew about it. We said, all right, on this Tuesday night, not every Tuesday, just this one Tuesday night, we're all going to gather here together 
and we're going to pray together. Well, our church was right beside an elementary school. And we would borrow each other's uh, parking lots for various events. When they had big events, they'd use our parking. When we had uh, Sunday, we would use their parking. And, and they had some event that night that was taking place out on P PTO meeting, something that was taking place. And uh, they had a lot of cars there. And I was walking inside, had a dear saint, dear lady pull up. And she pulled, she had tears in her eyes. She said, Pastor, I can't believe it. Pastor, God is moving. Pastor, look at all the people who were here. And I said, ma'am, we got four people sitting in that sanctuary. The rest of them are sitting at another meeting. Because we just really don't believe in the priority of prayer. But don't worry. As we go through Acts... We're going to stress the priority of it. Is prayer a common practice in your life? Do you spend time talking to the Lord? Nothing will get you in a go position quicker than speaking to the Lord and then listening to him respond to your prayer. They had the right practices, obedience, discipleship, and prayer. Are you practicing these spiritual disciplines in your life? If you want to get ready to go, if you want to be prepared to go, if you want to get on your mark and get set to go, start the right practices. Second, and I promise they're much shorter than the first. I see some of you getting nervous. Second, they had the right purpose. They had the right purpose. Ultimately, what's happening in our text is that uh, a replacement is being sought for Judas. This was the purpose for their meeting among the 120 disciples who started to follow Jesus after his ascension. Their purpose, therefore, was to do what God, through Scripture, expected and commanded them to do. You notice in verse uh, 16, verse 20, there are a couple of references to how Scripture had to be fulfilled. You need to do this so you can do what God has called you to do. There was no ulterior motive. Notice their only motive was to do what God wanted them to do. They don't use this opportunity to push their own personal agenda. They don't use this opportunity to try to get their own way. They don't even use this opportunity to gossip about how lousy an apostle Judas had been. Their only purpose was to fulfill scripture, to do what God called them to do. Let me ask you a question. What is your purpose? <clears throat> is your purpose consumed about getting your way or pushing your agenda? Are you, are you, I saw a Burger King's commercial this week, and I think that Burger King and the church have so many things in common in so many different ways. You're looking at one of them. Uh, but I think one of the other things we have in common is that the, the motto of Burger King is to have it your way. In fact, the commercial I saw last week said that there was over 200 and something different combinations you could have on a burger. So if you don't like this, you take it off. You add this, do that, and the other. And that's kind of the mentality we have in the church. To have it my way. Huh. There go the amens, and here come the old me's, right? 
So when something doesn't happen like we like, we just go find somewhere else that has the ingredients we like. But then their ingredients get old. You have to go find somewhere else where there's different ingredients and they get old and on and on and on. Look, I've got to go to New Orleans. I can't keep preaching. I'm going to New Orleans this afternoon to gather with 15 or 1,000 Baptists. I, I, need, I need a lot of things. I need a drink for one to be able to do that, but I, I need to finish the sermon to be able to do that too. Our purpose must be the same purpose as these apostles. It all comes back again to obedience, to simply do what God has commanded us to do. The wisest man to ever live in the Old Testament, King Solomon, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And in that book, he got to the end of it, and he wrote these words, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, the end of the matter, all has been heard. This is, it. This is what it all boils down to. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Your duty, your obligation to get ready, to get on your mark, to get set is to have the right purpose of revering and respecting God so that it leads you to obey and to do what God has called you to do. Third is this, they had the right perspective. They had right practices and they had the right purpose and they had the right perspective. They prayed to God in verse 24 and I want you to notice the emphasis they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. Now, if we were to pray, <laughs> we might would say, well, you, Lord, you do know a lot of things, but I think I know this a little bit better than you. Oh, we never say it, but the way we live says it. we'd say, Lord, uh, would you show us which one you have chosen as long as it's the same one we've chosen? <laughs> Lord, I don't mind following you if you just take me where I want to go. <laughs> Lord, I don't mind loving people if you'll make them lovable. Lord, I don't mind doing what you're calling me to do so long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable, unhappy, unsatisfied, whatever else. Lord, I don't, my perspective, Lord, is uh, I'll follow you until it's inconvenient. That's not the perspective that these apostles had. You, Lord, you have chosen. We want to see people as you see them, Lord. <clears throat> we want to make a decision, Lord, that you would make. We want to see things as you see them. We want to desire the things you will desire. We want to choose the things, God, that you will choose. Pers the pr perspective comes down to whose, whose view you have when it comes to life. Do you see things from how you desire them to be or do you see things from how God desires them to be? Here's what I want you to know about perspective. Perspective is an issue of stewardship 
And it's also an issue of ownership. If I own my life, then I have every right to choose my perspective. But if someone else is Lord in my life, they have the right for me to have their perspective. The Apostle Paul asked a question, and he answered it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. He said, do you not know that your body is temple of the Holy Spirit? He said, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, I know this is not popular. Listen, I know nothing in our culture will encourage us to give up our perspective and to embrace someone else's. Scripture, however, calls us to allow Christ to live through us because the Holy Spirit lives within us. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. My perspective is now his. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But may I issue you one more challenge? Will you this week, will you make this your prayer? I'm serious. I'm going to make it my prayer. Will you make this your prayer this week? Lord, let me see my life from your perspective. Let me see myself the way you see me. Let me see my circumstances the way you see them. Lord, help me see people the way you see them. Let me see your church from your perspective. And if we would get our perspectives aligned with God's, one, it'd make my job a whole lot easier. <laughs> it would also advance the kingdom of God because it would put us in a position to where we're on our mark and we're set and we're ready to go. See, God's call to the apostles in our text was to get them on their mark to have them get ready so that at the appropriate time they could go. That time came for them, and that time, church, has come for us. That time for you is now. Today is the day to go. Today is the day to determine to live as a follower of Jesus who has been sent into this world to join God in his mission of redemption. You are on your mark. You are set. Now it is time to go. May we embrace the right practices. Let us find and fulfill the right purpose and let's seek the right perspective. So we're ready to go for Jesus. Let me say one more thing and I'll wrap it up. The only way you can go forward for Jesus is if you come to faith in Jesus. You can't go 
unless God's already got. You can't be sent unless your sins are forgiven. Everyone in this room today, we're part of one or two camps. We're either part of God's kingdom or we're not. We've either accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior or we haven't. We've either asked him to forgive us of our sins or we haven't. We're either headed to heaven or we're headed to hell. That's, that's all two options. So for those of us in this room today who are headed to heaven, may I remind you that God's goal is not for us to sit on our blessed assurance until it's time to go to heaven. May I remind us that God's calling for us is not to sit, it's to be sent. It's not to hang around holy huddles. It's to go into all the world. And if you aren't called to go to the other side of the world, I know you're called to go to the other side of your street. And so for those of us here today who have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know where you are on your mark or in the stadium or where, but I know where you need to be. Let's get ready. Let's embrace the right practices. Let's ask God to help us fulfill his purpose for us. Let's get the right perspective. Look at life and the world from his eyes. And let's go. And for those of you in this room who don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking you to go anywhere. I'm asking you to come to Jesus today. Two, as best as you know how, Confess your sins to God. Admit that you're a sinner. Declare to God your trust in him. Declare to God that you believe that Jesus loves you and that he came and died for you. And trust in his work. Because once you come to faith in Jesus, you are ready to go. Either way it is, Everyone in this room, we should be coming or we should be going. Will you do that today? Let's bow together and pray. I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, we're going to stand and sing about our thankfulness for the blood of Jesus to cover our sins and the sins of the whole world. But the good news is only good if it gets there in time. So whatever the Lord may be leading you to do, to pray for someone in your family, your circle of friends, in your neighborhood that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, you pray for them. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, I cannot give that to you, but I can point you to the one who has that relationship, Jesus himself, and I can share with you what he says about that relationship. Maybe the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart today and You've become convinced that it's time for you to get ready and get on your mark and get set, and now it's time to go. Whatever God's placed upon your heart today, my only ask is and will always be that you say yes to God. Because at the end of our lives, He's the only one to whom we will answer. So, Father, today, I pray that you would help us take the next step in our relationship with you. And that next step may be a first step. 
there may be someone here today that doesn't have that relationship with you. But maybe someone in this church has taken the command to go and they've shared the gospel with, those, with that individual. Father, I pray that those here today that don't have a relationship with you, with you would realize that what they're feeling right now is conviction from your Holy Spirit. And that their guilt and their shame can be canceled, their sin can be washed away. And Father, I pray for those of us who've made that decision already. Would you help us have the right practices and seek to fulfill the right purpose and give us your perspective. Help us to see people as you see them and help us to follow you today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.